0: Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to The Dark Parts, a show where we explore the darkest parts of history, the world, and your mind. I'm your host Heath, and with me today, as always, is the lovely Queen of Scream, Daphne. Daphne, how you doing?
1: I am doing much better this week. I'm so sorry we didn't end up coming out with an episode last week, guys. I was so, so sick And then I just had a really persistent cough and it was impossible to record this show. So I'm back. I'm feeling a lot better. I'm so sorry about that. This was supposed to come out last week. And then this week we would have done a more fun wintry episode because this weekend we're going to a cabin in the mountains. We're going to ski and stuff. So, but this is, this is still going to be a very fun episode.
0: Well, we're so glad that you're back and you're healthy and you're feeling good because today's episode is going to get weird. Weird. Daphne, tell me, what do you know about goats? I know I love goat cheese. I do love goat cheese as well. Um, But I also know that they have the weirdest and creepiest eyes I think I've ever seen on an animal.
1: There's just something like really unsettling about goats, you know, and maybe it's their connection to a lot of mythology in general and like the devil, if you will. Sure. Yeah. But um, I don't know. Goats just, they just rub me the wrong way. I love animals, you know, vegetarian here, but (laughs) I'm just not
0: really into the goat. Not really into the goats. Okay. Well, let's get into today's episode. Maryland a state known for its blue crabs of Chesapeake Bay and the birthplace of the national anthem. Also the place where Ouija boards were first created and an NFL team was named after a depressed goth kid's poem, quote the raven, nevermore. It's also the state that said, fuck you feds, you're not taking my damn liquor during prohibition when alcohol was illegal everywhere. But enough with those strange state facts because we have some business to get down to. Most every state has its own urban legend, and today we're going to talk about Maryland's cryptid claim to fame. So make sure to keep your dogs inside and stay away from Fletchertown Road, or you might just end up becoming a victim of today's episode that we call The Goat Man.
2: Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around.
1: Before we get into some of the more recent stories surrounding this grass, dog, and human-eating bipedal, let's first take a look at the origin. And to do so, we have to go all the way back to Greek mythology and take a look at a creature known as satyr. The Greek described these creatures as having a male-natured spirit and horse-like features such as a horse tail or a mane. Then later, the creature evolved into having the legs of a horse and were described as lovers of wine, music, dancing, and women. (laughs) That's just kind of funny to me. But in most cases, the satyr would also sport an exaggerated erect pain and were known to sexually (laughs) assault young women, which is fucking creepy as shit. Yeah. So there's that. Um, eventually, the Romans started to identify the satyr as having more goat-like features, which included hooves or hooves, and uh, horns. Throughout history, the creature's story progressed into what folklore calls fawns, which you can see represented in the fantasy novel The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, written by C.S. Lewis in 1950. The fawn creature in the book is known, as many of us know, Mr. Tumnus, who is a furry goat-like creature. Who is not a rapist.
0: Yeah, no, he's not. So now that you have a little bit of backstory surrounding the creature itself, let's fast forward in time to October 27th, 1971, when the story of the Goatman first caught media attention. That day, a writer named Karen Hossler released an article in the Prince George County News that a local family named the Edwardses had been searching for their lost puppy named Ginger. But a few days later, the poor dog was found headless near Fletchertown Road. And this particular article suggested that a group of local girls had seen a large creature walking on its hind legs, carrying what appeared to be a dog in its arms. And this was on the night that Ginger disappeared. Now the article also asserted that more sightings of this creature were reported in the days following this gruesome discovery. Then, it was discovered that almost a decade prior to this article in 1962, 14 hikers were brutally slain in the woods of Maryland. With no particular cause of death, this led Marylanders to suspect that the Goatman was responsible for their attack. But, there were actually sightings that occurred before Karen Hoster's article came out. In fact, the earliest known sighting of the Goatman took place in 1957, but oddly, This sighting took place in Louisville, Kentucky, when an eyewitness claimed to have seen, quote, a large humanoid creature with furry, goat-like legs, alabaster skin, wide-set eyes, and horns that protrude from greasy fur. It was originally labeled the Pope Lick Monster, and that was due to the fact that it lived under a railroad trestle bridge over Pope
1: Lick Creek in Louisville. Now, what makes this furry little dude unique? Well, I'll tell ya, but there are many different so-called facts about this creature that I guess you can choose what you wanna believe. So first and foremost, it appears that the monster has an appetite for dogs. Rest in peace, Ginger. But also among the claims is that the Goatman is not very fond of couples. So if you're thinking of heading out to Lover's Lane, if that's even a thing there, for some smooching in Maryland, I'd think twice. It's said that if Goatman finds you there, he will drag the couple into the woods, rip apart the male, then form an illicit bond with the female before killing her too. It's also said that the Goatman can mimic its victim's voice as well as anyone's voice and this is particularly helpful in leading his victims astray, especially in the woods. But what's most unique about Goatman's story is that he actually does have his own origin story apart from Greek and Roman mythology. It's the tale of a mad scientist named Stephen Fletcher. Stephen Fletcher was apparently a scientist who worked at the United States Agricultural Research Center in Beltsville, Maryland, where, as the legend states, one of his experiments didn't go as planned. Steven had been working with both goat and human DNA to try and save his terminally ill wife.
0: I don't know what experimenting with goat DNA would do to help save his wife.
1: Maybe he knows something we don't. I don't know. So apparently he took an uncalculated risk by injecting human DNA into a goat, which ultimately created a hairy half-human, half-goat beast with an insatiable lust for blood. The goat then escaped from the laboratory and has been roaming the woods ever since, or so they say.
0: According to the legend. So the goat Man even made national headlines just a month after Karen Hostler's story in November of 1971. Now the Washington Post released an article titled quote, "A legendary figure haunts remote Prince George's woods." In the article, it identifies the young men who found poor Ginger, who were Ray Hayden and his brother John, and Willie Gein, one of their friends, but also gets the local police department's take on the legend, which they claim had been receiving a lot of attention more recently. The story quickly became a spooky story to tell your friends at school, and many teens began to spray paint, The Goat Man Was Here, on different tunnels and bridges in the area. It became such an urban legend that even what is known as Goatman parties were held by local teens. And these were essentially just an excuse to get together, drink in the woods, and then hunt for a mythical Goatman. A year later in 1972, Goatman was mentioned in the film American Graffiti, which if you haven't seen, that's a great movie. Um, but he was mentioned when a character in the movie says, quote, maybe it's the goat killer
1: and he'll get somebody and we'll see the whole thing. But other states have their own goat man, as we mentioned a bit earlier. For example, Texas even has one that involves a goat farmer named Jack Goatman Kendall, who banged one of the goats and subsequently bred a creature with goat man features. And this is one variation of the story, whereas the other, which is vastly different, includes a goat herder of color whose business is selling milk and cheeses. And basically, this guy was doing quite well, but the local claim, Clan was unhappy about this. Clan with a capital K. So they hung him off a bridge in Denton, Texas, and his ghost is said to haunt that bridge for eternity. So, obviously, this is very different from the other stories that we've come across thus far. Ghost Adventures even traveled down to Denton, Texas to investigate this haunted bridge. And there's an episode that you guys can go watch if you'd like to. It's called Goatman's Bridge. But you can find a Goatman story in lots of other states, including but not limited to Wisconsin, Maryland, Alabama, Texas, and more. In 1994, a writer named Mark Opsenich, who grew up hearing the stories of the infamous Goatman, wrote a piece in a magazine called Strange Magazine. The article was titled, On the Trail of the Goatman, and he even tracked down the family who had lost their dog, Ginger, the Edwards, and spoke with the daughter, April, who had seen the beast the night before the discovery of Ginger. Now, she and others explained that the creature had a high-pitched sound, almost like a squeal, and that it was over six feet tall and covered in hair. But because Mark had never seen the Goat Man himself, he was still very skeptical, but remained curious. And he said, quote, I mean, anything is possible in this world. Maybe there is a half-man, half-goat creature out there.
0: Now, we've talked a lot about the history surrounding where this urban legend originated, but I think it's time to get into the real juicy stuff. Love the juicy stuff. We love it. The stories that truly make the legend come to life. And the first one I have for you... Is an original creepy pasta titled "quote
1: and Nancy's Goat Man," but the author is unknown. I gotta say, I love a creepy pasta. Those are my personal favorite ones.
0: Yeah, and this is actually one of the more popular ones that I've seen on the web. Let's hear it. So it goes like this. Here's my story: be sixteen, be black, and have family down in Alabama. They farm and own a huge amount of land down in Huntsville. Uncle owns a big house and a bunch of trailers that they put out in the woods for hunting and camping. Down south, cousins suggest that we go out there to camp. Now, I'm a city kid from Chicago, so they tease the fuck out of me. Collect food, kill a pig and some chickens, and bring necessities to camp out for a few days. We get to the camp, and it's obvious something is weird. Air has this weird electric smell, like right before a storm, like ozone. We think nothing of it and unpack and go down to a little creek to swim for a few hours. All of a sudden, some older white guy and a white teenager come out of the bushes. He has a shotgun in the crook of his arm and says hello and asks us what we're doing this far back in the woods. Tell him about my uncle, who he knows, and say that we're camping out. He tells us we need to be real careful out here and stick together. There was a big animal in the woods. His son, who's my age, asks if he can stay and hang out with us. The white man says okay.
1: I'm continuing this. I'm going to stop green texting because the story is fairly long and the format is harder to write in. So we end up playing football. Dicking around with me, there's the white kid Tanner, five of my cousins, and then four of their friends. In total, there were five girls and six boys. We all were around 15 to 17. So we head back to the camp and pulling out some stuff for a campfire, even though the trailers both had kitchenettes. Tanner says that his family's property sits up against his uncle's. He wants to run home and ask his dad if he can come out camping with us. My cousin Rooster says he's going to go with him since it's going to get dark soon. One of the girls also wants to tag along. It's about 7 o'clock and it's starting to get pretty dark. They take flashlights and take the trail toward Tan's property. The rest of us chill. About 30 or 40 minutes later, there's the smell of ozone again. This really nasty, coppery smell like right after you've had a nosebleed and it stopped. It wasn't exactly like dried blood, but it was that nasty, metallic back-of-your-throat smell.
0: We immediately think that it's some kind of electrical malfunction, or someone left a hot plate on. We search the trailers, and nothing is on. All of a sudden, we hear people booking down the path towards us, and Rooster, Tan, and the girl all come running into the clearing out of breath. And they don't even break stride. They all run into the trailer. We all get into the trailers. They end up calming down. Even Rooster is crying his eyes out at this point. All the while, the fire is guttering lower and lower, so my other cousins say fuck it and are about to go outside to get the generator out of the shed between the trailers. Tanner goes, fuck no, lock the door, ain't nobody else going outside. He's been crying too, and his eyes are bloodshot and puffy, and his pants are dirty. He goes on to tell us that they went up to his house. His father said sure that he could come out camping, but to make sure that they were careful on the way back and that maybe they should take one of the hunting rifles just in case.
1: Evidently, Tanner had seen something in their yard a few days before. One of their pigs had come up, ripped up and half eaten. They assumed it was just some big cats or coyotes, even though they don't usually fuck with live animals. He had gone upstairs and packed his stuff and told his dad that they would be okay without the rifle because coyotes avoid people. So they started walking back toward where we were camping. So Rooster finally stops crying and shaking, the girl already had, but she was just staring out the window with a dumb look on her face. He says they had gotten halfway into the woods toward the camp when they started to hear shit in the forest. It was almost pitch black by this time, so they weren't sure at first what it was. The girl said that she heard something in the bushes right off the trail, and they all beamed their flashlights over there, and there was someone standing back in the woods in a little hollow. Rooster said they shouted at him and told him that he was scaring the fuck out of them. He says that's when he realized that the guy was facing away from them.
0: Oh, that's such a creepy image in my brain that you just see something off in a hollow, and you're like, what the fuck is that? And it's like a guy turned away from you. It's like Blair Witch. Ugh, creepy. So they keep walking, and they start smelling that nasty coppery ozone smell. They say that they look off into the forest on the opposite side, and it's a dude standing in the forest, backward, slightly closer to the path. So now they start power walking, and Tan keeps going, I should have taken the fucking rifle. As they're telling the story, the smell is still super strong, even inside the cabin. They say that after they started walking faster, a kind of low gibbering had started coming from both sides of the woods. And as they started booking it back to the trailer, the girl said that she had flashed her flashlight into the woods
1: to the side of them and had seen something jerking itself through the trees. So we're out in the fucking woods and we're assuming at this point it's some rednecks trying to mess with us. All of a sudden, my other cousin Jr. starts going on about how he went to school with a native kid that was telling him about the goat man. We promptly tell him to shut the fuck up because we don't need any spooky talk right now. But he just keeps going on and on about how it's the fucking goat man and how we're in his woods. Now at the time, I had never heard of this goat man, but then a couple years ago, the year before I graduated from college, I had a roommate and I ended up asking him about it. And to sum it up, it's basically a man with the head of a goat and he can shapeshift and he gets among groups of people to terrorize them. Keep in mind, I didn't know this back when I was 16. So my cousin's going, the goat man's going to get in and fucking get us. The girls are all terrified and my cousins and I are all trying to figure out if it's some hillbillies or if it's some animal. So all of a sudden, the smell just goes away. Like usually smells
0: fade away or lessen. It literally just was there one second and then was not the next. So it's after an hour making it around 9 or 10. We've stopped shitting bricks enough to go back outside and stoke the fire again. We figure that it was just some assholes trying to mess with us, so we don't go back home, because we think if we do, they'll chase us through the woods. Nothing else weird happens that night, and we stay another night, and for the main part of that night, nothing happens. But at 1am, we're outside drinking and telling ghost stories, when the smell comes back. It's so strong that one of the girls literally starts vomiting. I stand up, and you can actually feel how clammy the air is. I say, we should get back inside, and this isn't right. We should have just left. We all go back inside, and we're standing around. My cousin just keeps going on about how it's the goat man, and my cousin Rooster tries to shut him up. And all the while, I'm just feeling that something
1: is wrong, and I can't figure out what the fuck it is. We're terrified and all huddled in this camper. We end up cooking brats for everybody because nobody wants to go outside. It's one of those packs with four brats. We have a total of three packs. I grill them up on the stove and give everybody a dog. I get mine. And after a while, one of my cousins gets up and goes over to the pot to get another one. He starts grumbling about how I get two brats and everybody else only got one. And I look at him like he's stupid. I tell him that everybody only got one because there were only 12. If he wants more, he should open up a new pack and cook more. That's when the girl that had been out with Rooster and Tan just starts screaming, Oh Jesus, oh Lord, get it out! She's crying and shivering, and then it dawns on the cousin standing up, What the fuck is wrong? Me and him both glance around the room, and then I feel my heart sink. I run the fuck out of the cabin, and the girl runs out with us. One of my cousin's friends asks us what the hell was wrong. I started counting us. There's only 11 now. I shit you not, my cousin verified. There had been 12 people in the cabin.
0: But being that everybody didn't really know each other well, nobody had really noticed the whole fucking time that there was an extra person. And then I realized earlier that I had kind of noticed something was off. You know how when you're just dicking around having a good time, that you don't sweat the small things, and you don't always keep track of certain stuff? I'm dead sure that someone else had been in the trailer with us, and that they had been there for at least a day, eating with us. What makes it even worse is I couldn't figure out which one, because I don't think anyone ever actually interacted with the other person slash goat man. The girl kept praying to jesus and we're all sitting outside eventually we get big ass sticks and go back in the cabin but there's nobody in there we count again and there's 11 people we go back into the trailer and lock the door we explain what happened and the girl says that she realized too and that when he was about to say something the person sitting next to her grabbed her leg hard and leaned over toward her and said something that she couldn't understand. So we're pretty much scared to death as we huddle together and I fall asleep. When I wake up, the sun is just coming up, and half the people are
1: asleep and the other half are packing up our shit. And I just want to say really quick, it seems like he is switching off between trailer and camper. So I'm thinking that this might be one of those homes that is not on wheels. It's more of like a manufactured home that could be like a cabin, but is also called a trailer. I'm not sure though, but I just wanted to mention that because I'm sure other people are like, wait, what the fuck? Yeah. What's going on there? It's like a trailer cabin thing. Interchangeable words, I guess. So back to the story. We all want to walk back home, but like four people want to stay until the sun is all the way up and some people think that we're just screwing around and still want to stay at the trailers. I just want to get the fuck out of the woods. The girl's name was Kira, the one that the goat man had touched. Anyway, I asked her if she really thinks it was something bad, and she says she just wants to go home and she doesn't want to be out in the woods alone for another night. So we decide to split up. The four that want to go can go, but I have to stay because I have the keys to the cabin and it's my uncle's and I have to lock up. I spend the rest of the day trying to convince the rest of the people, now four girls and four guys, to get the fuck out of Dodge. Tanner leaves with them to go get a rifle and says he's going to be back. So there are just seven of us left by 4 p.m. Around
0: 5 p.m., he hasn't made it back yet, and we're getting extremely fucking antsy. And the only reason I stopped begging them to go back was because he went to go get a gun. It's about 5.30 p.m. or so, when the one cousin that did stay says that the girl Kiera is outside. We all look outside, and sure enough, she's standing by the fire pit with her back to the cabin. I'm thinking to myself, if she was so scared, why the hell would she come back? Keep in mind, the whole time the coppery smell has been gone. Now, I realize I can smell just a twinge of it. So, one of the girls goes outside to get Kiera. She gets halfway to her and stops cold. Kiera starts heaving. I don't know how the fuck to describe it. Sort of like if someone with their back turned was laughing without actually making any sound. It was this fact that made me realize
1: there was not a sound in the whole woods. It was dead silent. So I step out the door and tell her to come back in the trailer right goddamn now. She backs up into the trailer and we lock the door. We pull down all the shades except one and put a guy there in a chair to watch her. She stands there for another 20 minutes or so. The guy turns to say that she's still there and there's a huge bang on the door. We all jump and scramble around the living room of the trailer. The banging is super fucking loud. Then we hear Tan. He's screaming, Let me fucking stop fucking playing. So we go over to the door and open it and he stumbles in with a rifle, but there's nobody else outside. Evidently, he had walked up to the campsite. Nothing weird happened in the forest, but he had seen a girl. Mind you, he said it was not Kira standing there. When he had gotten to the edge of the clearing, she had turned towards him with this slack-jawed look and just stared him down slowly tracking him as he walked back to camp. He said it wasn't until he was almost halfway to the trailer that he had realized that she was getting closer to him. She had started off by the fire, and without him even seeing her move, she had been turning, inching closer. He ran back to the cabin, but when he got to the door and it was locked, he turned and the girl was half the distance to the door.
0: Once back inside, he looks around the room and then gets super pale. He pulls me to the side and whispers in my ear, You know there are only seven of us in here, right? I get that feeling where your stomach drops to your nuts. I had been back inside the trailer while we were sorting out who was going where, and then when we were all outside to talk earlier in the day, it had just slipped right back in. We looked out the window, and there is nobody out there. So we recount everybody and then basically I go over and ask everyone how many people were here earlier And everybody says eight. I say, well, how many of us are here now? They all do the count and then realize that there are only seven people in the cabin So Tan had brought back a couple of boxes of ammo in his rifle And he had told his dad that there was some kind of animal in the forest because he didn't think that his dad would believe him If he told him it was the goat man He says that his cousin is supposed to be coming down in a few hours and that in the morning, we can all go back to his place and his cousin will drive us home. Now, I'm really fucking terrified. But then my cousin gets into this huge argument with one of the girls because she thinks that I'm trying to be funny and prank them and that she's getting really scared and that I'm not funny. He keeps telling her that I'm not that kind of person and she says, well, how do you know the girl wasn't just Tanner in a wig? Or if it's really the goat man. How do we know that this is the real Tanner
1: and that Goatman didn't just kill Tanner in the woods and take his gun? So we get into a huge argument about this where me and Tan are like, we could seriously be in danger because at the very least, someone has been sneaking themselves into our trailer without us knowing and mingling with us. And at worst, something bad is in the forest with us. One of the girls is crying and saying she wants to go home right now. And we're trying to tell her that we shouldn't because none of us should be walking through the woods in the middle of the night. At this point, the sun is starting to go down and it's getting a little cloudy out when Tan's cousin shows up. He was like 19, I think. And at this point, the sun is just barely over the horizon and he has one of those heavy duty lantern flashlights and another rifle. He walks up to the trailer and we listen to Tan asking if he's sure that it's his cousin and he says yes. The guy looks behind him and all around the camp, then walks in. He kind of glances at all of us and looks a little confused. He says, where's that other girl at? I figured she would meet me up at the cabin. Is she a little slow or something? He also asked whether we'd been cooking blood in the cabin because it smelled like blood in hot pans all the way up the trail. We were all like, nope. But we asked him what he's talking about with the girl he saw. He'd come down the same trail Tan had been using, and he had come up on one of Yu's guys' buddies, standing in the middle of the trail, looking at him slack-jawed. he had asked her a bunch of questions, but all she did was look at him. Then she smiled at him, and he just kept walking. She couldn't seem to keep up with him. He said he asked her if she was hurt or something, and if she needed any help, but she continued to stare.
0: Eventually, he had been walking and turned around a bend in the trail. But when he turned around and went back to see if she was okay, the trail was empty. We tell him the whole story of what's been going on. I half expected him to say that we were full of shit, but he just listened and then sat down on the couches in the living room. Tanner's cousin gets back to the girl. He says that when she kept trying to lag behind him, it had kind of weirded him out. So he tried to keep her in front of him. But no matter how slow he walked she was always lagging a little behind. And that he smelled this nasty smell, and it got stronger as he got closer to the camp. She had said something really low that he didn't catch, and when he had turned around, she had been right on him, and he stepped back from her. It was at this point that he asked her if she was okay, and if she wasn't, he could carry her back the rest of the way, but she just kept staring. He said he reached out for her, as in to grab her on the shoulder, but he must have misjudged the distance because she was off to the side of where he had put his
1: hand, like she had moved while he was looking dead at her. So at this point, we know this shit's real, unless Tan is playing a joke, which we can tell he's not because he's almost pissing his pants. At around 11, the stink of copper turns into an actual nasty, gross, blood-like smell, like cooking blood and singed hair tan and his cousin get up instantly and grab their rifles there's like a half knocking half clawing at the door and there's this voice it sounds like when you see those youtube cats and dogs whose owners teach them how to talk it stays in this halting weird toned voice and says let me the fuck in stop fucking playing One of the girls just starts crying and calling on Jesus. It was so obviously not a person talking. It didn't have the right cadence. And that's some shit that I never realized until that moment. But all people have a certain cadence when they talk, no matter what language. All people have a certain kind of rhythm to talking. This shit didn't have any kind of cadence or rhythm. So now I'm in full on terror mode. We keep yelling outside, Who is it? Stop fucking around, man! And it keeps saying in or let me the fuck in for almost 15 minutes.
0: Then the smell goes away for a while. And for the next hour or so, you can hear someone basically creeping around in the woods. Every couple of minutes, it would come back to the door and say something. Finally, when the smell fades away, it's around two in the morning. Tan's cousin says, man, fuck this, and opens the door and walks outside with his rifle. He fires a shot into the air and says something to the effect of, In the name of Jesus Christ, go away! He fires two more times, and then from the woods right up against the river across from the trailer, it sounds like something is slowly gibbering and hooting. Then it starts screaming, and it sounds almost like a woman and a cat in a bag screaming together. Like, I seriously have never heard anything like that. And you can hear the brush over that way start to shake. The cousin fires over into the tree line and then starts backing into the house. We lock the door and we can hear the shit keening and screaming. He said something had come out of the bushes, super low to the ground, and crawling toward the cabin. He had shot at it. Pretty much, that was how the rest of the night went. It was literally screaming constantly for the next two hours, and we could hear shit moving out in the tree line. But it never came back up to the cabin until everyone had finally fallen asleep.
1: Tannin had been sitting in the chair watching the door with his rifle. Nobody else heard or saw this. And he told me two days later after the whole thing was over, he said he had been nodding off after the screaming and noises finally stopped. And he had been almost asleep when he saw someone come out of the bathroom and then lay down in the middle of the floor and go to sleep. He just assumed it was one of us and kind of nodded off. Then he said he realized something was wrong. And while pretending to be sleeping he counted us there were nine people in the cabin he basically didn't want to try to shoot at the thing in the cabin and have it kill us all or have his cousin wake up and start shooting and then we kill ourselves so he just stayed awake all night pretending to be asleep he said sometimes it would stand up and kind of limp across the room or heave like it was laughing but then It would lay back down. We woke up that morning and noticed
0: that Tan was a little jittery and that he was avoiding looking at all of us. But we ate some breakfast, packed up, and started walking to the house. He stayed last in the cabin and said that he'd lock up and bring me my uncle's keys to just start walking and that he'd catch up, which I didn't really want to. We got a little bit up the path, and when he came running up, we just jogged back to the house. Then his cousin took us home. There was a window in the bathroom of the cabin, and when Tan had gone back to lock up and looked in there, the window was up. I'm guessing it had been doing that all along, waiting for us to fall asleep or slip up, and then getting in among us.
1: Such a creepy story. I know that was a longer one and it lulled at at parts, but I mean, really something I think is interesting about it is obviously a lot of creepy pastas. people wonder if they're real or not. and something I liked about this story is how it almost it was like overexplained. like there was every little detail in there, not that you can't make up little details, but it really felt real, yeah, it did. And like coming up with the details about how like the
0: the brat situation, you know yes. How, like, somebody had stolen a brat, or the fact that Tan was, you know, sleeping, pretending to be asleep and seeing this figure stand up in the middle of the room and like heave like it's laughing. That and then was lay so back scary. Down. Like that is so fucking creepy.
1: And something that was really creepy about this story was how they were constantly counting to see how many of them were there and how they kept feeling like somebody was joining them and they didn't notice somehow and that it was amongst them yeah, without right. them knowing.
0: And that they're also counting everybody that are, that is supposed to be in the trailer And then like their counts are off. so creepy. Yeah, very, very strange. I know, again, that this was a longer story, um, but it was one of the more popular creepypastas that I found. And it fit this episode, so I figured I'd share it with you guys. But we also have one more story for you guys. And this one I found while roaming around Reddit. And it just so happens to take place in the Pacific Northwest but it is indeed about the Goatman, and you can definitely see some of the similarities between the story that we just told you and this one. The story is called, There's Something Inhuman South of Seattle if you wanna go looking for it. Right on my alley. Oh, I knew you were gonna love this one. And this was posted by a user named Best, and it goes like this. I've talked about my road trip on this board before. Sick to death of working myself to death, I took the first vacation of my life last year. A beat-up, rebuilt Yamaha Zuma and a foolish sense of optimism carried me across the western United States on an adventure that seriously made me rethink everything I thought I knew about the world. I loved Seattle. With the hip original hippie neighborhoods and the permacarnival atmosphere at Pike Place Market, the bridge troll was a highlight. Gotta love a city that sees a bridge and goes, you know what this needs? a giant concrete troll. Getting out of Seattle, however, was a total nightmare. Restricted to backroads by a motor that capped at 40 miles per hour, I must have gotten lost a dozen times, despite all the help I received from baffled gas station attendants. So, I was behind schedule when it came to finding my campsite. Some miles south and a little east of the city, there's a free campground. It's most often used by horse riders, and boy, you can smell it. That's actually what guided me in the last few miles. A whole bunch of shit. There's a gravel road off of a service road and then a few crooked unpaved paths off of that. The trail markers were all bent, broken, or faded. In the
1: end, I just had to follow my nose. I set up my junior scout tent in the fading twilight. Mine was the only one there. I had the place all to myself. After a quick meal of apples pilfered from a previous campground I did my usual travel log spiel to my video camera by lantern light before turning in. I'm not sure how long I slept. I know I checked the time but I'll be damned if I can recall what it was. Something had disturbed my well-earned beauty rest but I was too groggy to remember what it had been. I sat in a stupor, too alert to fall back asleep but too sleepy to be totally awake. Something brushed the side of my tent, and suddenly I was more awake than I'd ever been. I had done plenty of camping by that point. I was familiar with the sounds of the usual nighttime critters, from raccoons to coyotes. Nothing had ever bothered me in my tent before. Just snuffled around camp before wandering off and leaving me be. From the sound of the footsteps, it was walking on two legs. That was a first my mind immediately jumped to the worst possible conclusion, bear. There's a lot of conflicting information out there about how to deal with bears, and a lot of it depends on the type of bear. Sitting there in the dark with my heart beating in my throat, I had no way of telling which species I was dealing with. Shout out or play dead. I was 30 yards from a sturdy cement block outhouse that might be better shelter. As quietly as I dared, I slipped my boots on and got ready to dash. The tent zipper seemed impossibly
0: loud in the night as I worked it open centimeter by centimeter. I moved agonizingly slowly. Once outside, I craned my neck around to see if the bear, if that's what it was, was between me and the outhouse. With the incredible illumination of the Milky Way, I could see the campground clearly all the way to the tree line. There was nothing out there. I could feel something watching me. It was like feeling an insect crawl along the back of my neck. There was no logical way for me to know something had its eyes on me, but out there in the dark, in the middle of nowhere all alone, I couldn't dismiss it. Still on high alert, I crept along and tried not to crunch the gravel under my feet too loudly. The outhouse was still my best bet. The door was propped open by a stone, but inside, there was a heavy-duty bolt lock. I would have to spend the night surrounded by the smell of not only horse, but also human poop,
1: but I figured that that was a fair trade for not getting mauled or eaten. My hand was on the latch when I heard the awful crunch of footsteps in gravel behind me. I kicked the stone propping the door open out of the way and slammed the heavy metal door shut, no longer caring how much noise I made. Whatever was on the other side had thumbs. Something tugged on the door as I struggled to bolt it shut. I won, but it was close. There was a metal mesh along the top of the structure for ventilation. Through it, I heard the bellows of heavy breathing that matched my own. My phone was back in the tent because I'm an idiot. There was no way to tell time. The same stupid impulse that brought me out there in the first place kicked in. I had to know. So I said, Hello? Silence. Maybe they hadn't heard me. And then, Hello? I could have shit myself. I was in the right place for it. The voice was feminine like my own, and the sound of it was a kick to the gut. I couldn't even tell you why it made me so uneasy. The sensation was like when you're walking upstairs and you're expecting another step, but your foot comes down on an empty step. I'm sorry, I thought I was alone. I'm alone. Every syllable was jarring. I'm sorry, I freaked out. I didn't think there was anyone else here. Sorry, I'm here. You'd think now that I knew it was another camper, I would have opened the door, but I never did. Some deeply buried instinct kept me from taking my hand off the bolt. You scared the crap out of me. Are there more tent sites out in the trees or something?
0: I'm something, there are more.
1: Her words made me sick to my stomach. Again, I couldn't have even told you why, only that they did. From her odd syntax, I guessed English wasn't her first language. Do you need to go, use the bathroom I mean, because I'm gonna be in here a while. That wasn't a lie, I wouldn't have opened the door if it was my own mother on the other side. You need to go. Her grasp of English was improving with every sentence. There was something weird about that. Look, I'm sorry if I scared you, but you started it by creeping around in the dark. I won't come out. Can you go somewhere else? I'll be gone in the morning, I promise. I just wanted to sleep in peace.
0: You need to be gone. I promise you I creep in the dark. You won't be here in the morning.
1: Fear cemented my mouth shut. The more I spoke, the more she did. And I didn't want to hear her voice anymore. I'm sure that makes me sound like a bigot or something, but I had the feeling I was feeding words to her and the feeling was not pleasant. It felt like she was hungry for them. The same instinct that told me to keep quiet the first time kept me from running my dumb mouth off again. I was either dealing with someone who was not mentally well or it was something else entirely. There was a threat in her words, or the way she spoke them, and I had no doubt she would be able to carry out that threat. I kept my hand on the bolt while they cramped, and the first rays of sun crept sluggishly through the mesh at the top of the walls of my shelter. It wasn't until the sun was strong enough to make me sweat in my self-imposed prison that I felt brave, stupid, enough to speak again. Hello? Are you still out there? Hello? Anyone? There was no answer, which was the best outcome I could hope for. I opened the door. My tent was untouched, at least from a distance. The oppressive feeling of being watched had dissipated. I dressed and broke down camp in record time. My moped cranked to life, but it wasn't until I went to put on my helmet that I saw the footprint. I'd kicked that rock pretty far. It was close to my bike. Naturally, I went over to it. I had to know in a clear outline of fresh mud. There was a single print on the smooth gray of the stone, not human, but a hoof like that of a goat. It was so fresh, so vivid. It hadn't been there last night when I used the bathroom before I'd gone to bed in the soft mud in front of the outhouse door was more of the same. Some of them on top of my own boot prints, if you want to go looking for whatever the hell it is, be my guest. Just be careful with your words out there because I figured out what was wrong with that voice when I watched the playback of my travel log video. It was my own. I think the most
0: interesting thing about both of those stories is the fact that the goat man
1: apparently can mimic voices. And
0: that's exactly what it was doing to this camper. And that is so,
1: I mean, that's such a scary element of it because we know that. Uh, you know, historically the goat man does mimic voices. And the fact that it was a female voice just like hers and she found hooves and then, you know, watching it back, she's like, wait, that's what I sound like. That's my voice. And maybe she didn't realize it in the time or in the moment, but what a, that is such a scary story.
0: I think what also makes this story really scary is the fact that when she's saying these things to the, the person or goat man or whatever was on the other side of that door, the, that person is saying those things back, but like in a jumbled order, yes. like they're like, like she's saying, like they're taking the things that I'm saying, like my words As if, like, they're, like,
1: eating them and, like, spitting them back out in a, like, random order. And, like she said, it didn't sound like English was their first language, as if they were mimicking it in a weird way. So that's why she probably wouldn't have realized that it sounded like her in the moment. But also so scary that she had heard something and then ran, and it just missed her. Yeah. Just missed her. Yeah. Like, I I love
0: the part where she kicks the rock and then she, she barely, like when she says, I barely won that fight, getting that door closed, like putting your, put yourself in that girl's shoes and just be like, no, (laughs) yeah, no, absolutely not. I mean, that's so fucking scary. So creepy. So strangers, what did we learn today? We learned that experimenting with human and animal DNA isn't always the greatest idea. And I'm not just talking about old Steve Fletcher, the science guy. I'm looking at you, Goatman Jack, you strange little goat kisser. We also learned that if you have to follow the smell of shit to find your way to a campground, maybe pass on that one. I don't know, just a thought. And last but not least, always count your friends at a campout out. Because the Goatman may be infiltrating your camper to eat your brats and possibly your face.
1: Today's horror tip comes to us from the 2006 horror comedy, Black Sheep. The best way to kill a herd of rabid, meat-eating sheep is to use their farts against them. I didn't make that up. That's in the movie. All you have to do is wait until the methane builds up and throw an open flame into the middle of the herd, and pretty soon you have lamb chops. It's simple science, my friends.
0: Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Dark Parts.
1: Yes, thank you guys so much. Again, so sorry we missed you last week, but we will see you next week for another episode of Going. Oh, God, Why going West. She almost, ah! she, oh, she
0: almost said it uh, sorry. for another episode of the Dark Parts, and. We're going to have some Christmas episodes or some holiday episodes, I should say. Yeah,
1: some good wintry
0: tales. So yeah,
1: yeah, if you guys have any recommendations, of course, please email us at thedarkpartspodcast at gmail.com. We love getting those because it's nice to know what you guys like to hear. As I said earlier, I love a good creepypasta or a good scary Reddit story. Those are my favorites. But I want to know what you guys are, you know, wanting to hear from us. Um, We love doing this show and we love that you guys tune in. And thank you so, so much for doing so.
0: Yeah, so please make the sure, uh, uh, please make sure that you share the show, and also, God, what's wrong with us? I know uh, it's, My brain is just melted uh... at this point. Please make sure that you share the show, and also, if you'd like to leave us a nice review, please do so as well. All right, guys, we'll see you
1: next time in the dark parts.